Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC D25. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. I know you didn't watch the preseason game last night, Jeff, but it was fun to be down Wait, there. wait, you're not even... So, the good news for me is that you are now... You finally, after all this time, have given up and are just assuming that I'm not going to watch Thursday night football. Preseason. Thank you. Pre-season. I appreciate Once we that. get to the Oh, regular. no, it's not changing during the regular season. Once we get to the regular season, I'll continue to ask. Um, right. Okay. It was fun so, down there, though. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, my, look, I took my six. How many, how many players that, that you actually plan on seeing in the starting lineup on defense or offense actually were suited up yesterday? There were a couple. I mean, not a ton. I mean, a Nicobe, couple. Nicobe Dean forced the fumble on the on the drive, uh, the okay. first drive of the game. When was look, that? It was first when drive, was that? First drive of the game. They weren't out there for for much of the game. Many of them. Okay. And to be honest, my six and a half year old could have cared less. And I went there not watching the game as who was on the field, but just watching the game through his eyes and the amazement of the things that he saw there. Which for how jaded we become so many times, you know, we we go to cover it or we've gone ourselves as fans growing up or you've gone with your son or I went with my dad. You know, it's it's different when, you know, your kids there This is my my son's first Eagles game. His eyes could not have been wider at what he was seeing. It was really cool. Yeah, well, the good news for you is at some point this weekend, he's probably going to be dropping his first F-bomb, too. (laughs) Because that's usually what pre- follows going to your first Eagles oh, game. Oh, everybody kid. was on good behavior. They didn't oh, worry okay. that the Eagles were fumbling the ball mm. and dropping the ball, and the way that they right. actually played ne- on the next field. Next week, I expect you to tell me what the over/under was on number of hours before he dropped that f bomb. All right, we'll see. I mean, it's not quite a bet like you have going with the Texas <laughs> Rangers or anything, but we'll see how that works out. Um, do you, I, I don't really want to break down the game. It's preseason football. I mean, Thank I'm, you. Not, I'm not going to overreact to what's on the field, especially cause we've got Dave Spadaro to talk about with that. So why don't we talk with him about some Eagles and then we'll talk about everything else after. Let's do it. Always enjoy getting a few minutes to talk football with Eagles insider, Dave Spadaro. Dave, thanks so much for giving a little time. Guys, always a pleasure. Uh, hard to believe now we're, we are one preseason game away and then, August 29th, they cut it down to 53 players. So it's right around the corner. And then September 10th, and then the regular season begins, and here we go all over again. I don't know. Does it feel like the, the summer went by fast? The offseason went by quickly to you or or not quickly? Or like, I don't I don't know. I, it seems like yesterday that the Eagles played in the Super Bowl, and then the other, on the other hand, it feels like forever ago. Yeah, same thing. Kind of both at the same time. And like, I can't get enough of what's going on. You've been out there seeing it. You were out at joint practices this week, which are often more important than the games. Talk to us about the feel out there before we get into the players themselves. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I always kind of look for the hangover after a Super Bowl. It's a long, long season. After a tough loss like that, there's an emotional toil. I have not felt that. Um, I, I feel like the Eagles did a really good job keeping their foot on the gas pedal with the roster turnover and really did a great job in building back up the roster and reloading the roster and keeping, you know, James Bradbury and Jason Kelsey and Brandon Graham, et cetera, Fletcher Cox, and then adding some pieces, including DeAndre Swift, who I think is just going to be such a big part of things to come. I think that the Eagles have put last year behind them. I know we'll find out, of course, in the regular season, they are the Mark team in the NFC, but I don't feel the hangover that I felt in 2005 um, and even 2018 when, 
you know, the, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl win was just so profound. I, I feel like this team has turned the page well, but that's just my feeling. They may have turned the page well, but and and there may not be a hangover. But is there is there a fire from this? Do they just do players and do these particular players and coaches? just put this behind them or does it drive them? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bit of both. I mean, it's a really good question. Um, and it, for the TV broadcast last night, we had interviewed Jalen hurts on Wednesday and he talked about that. And there's just that he's never satisfied. And certainly after losing in the super bowl, a feeling of, of not being satisfied. And everybody was kind of like, you know, Hey, but you played so well in the super bowl. He goes, I don't, we lost the game. Like if we had thrown three interceptions, if I had thrown three interceptions and, and we won the game, you'd be talking to a Super Bowl champion and that's all we'd be talking about. Um, so I, I think it very much drives them um, to a degree, but, but at the same time, you, you, you have to put it behind you. And in football, you have to live in the moment. And I think that is kind of what Nick Sirianni has always preached here. That's kind of the way Jalen Hurts conducts his business. And I feel like that's the way that they've been throughout this training camp period. Talk a little more about Jalen Hurts and his leadership. There's never really a question about that, but now there's no question. He is the guy, the contract, that he doesn't seem to be phased by that. He's just back to work. Can you talk about his style and how he really guides this team? I mean, he is back to business. He's a business-oriented, old soul, um, very much focused ridiculous for a 25 year old maturity. And I think that everybody takes their cue from him. He's had a really, really good summer. The offense around him is extremely strong. I dare say it's better than it was last year. I just think that the offensive line has a chance to be just as good. And I think the weapons with Swift, with Rashad Penny, just a bit better. Um, so I, I feel like Jalen is on track and he's nonplussed and he, the, the contract is something that never, ever seemed to be a focus for him. It's in the background now, and I just don't see a difference at all in Jalen Hurts. I mean, he has been the same guy since he walked into this building, and it's crazy. He's 25 years old, and he just is just the most mature, most business-oriented, most driven guy that I think I probably have ever come across in a game of football. He see he does at least to us we're on the outside you're more on the inside even from the outside he seems to look the part of a, of a driven leader always looking to improve his craft is there something though that that in particular he's been working on in this off season that he looks to improve more than just a general overall game I don't know I mean there's always the, the search for perfection I mean the, the completion percentage last year bumped up from 62% in 2021 to 66% in 2022. Can he get it to 70% with the idea that there are some, you know, check down throws to Swift and, and, and others the running backs really do offer a lot of different skills. Uh, you want to keep drives alive a little bit more. I thought that he did an excellent job protecting the football last season. So, I mean, maybe I look at the, I look at, don't miss two games with an injury. Um, but generally I think he's, he's, it's just a matter of him really sharpening his skill. And I'm not sure there's a huge jump to be made, but any jump that is made will take him into just a completely, completely different stratosphere. I think he's already a top five quarterback. I mean, I'm not sure what else he has to prove, 
Uh, but but for him, he's got to prove he can win the Super Bowl, and 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 that is the burning desire this year. You know, you mentioned DeAndre Swift. What what element does he add to the game, and how does he improve, or or how does he make the offense better by having him here versus what they had last year? You know, in the in the history of the Eagles, you look back and you go, all right, Brian Westbrook, what a what a terrific player in the screen game. Um, LaShawn McCoy, outstanding receiver out of the backfield. Darren Sproles, those wheel routes, really successful. DeAndre can run the route tree. Uh, he can, so you can isolate him in space, displace him out of the backfield to create great matchups. You can run the screen game with him. And if, if Cam Jurgens wins that job at, at right guard, which it appears that he's a leading candidate for sure, you know, the Eagles with Kelsey and Jurgens potentially devastating in the screen game, getting those players out to the second level with Swift carrying the football. He's really elusive. Uh, in the in the receiving game, he will be able to create great matchups. He can run outside the, the tackles and be very explosive that way. Again, stay healthy, use him judiciously, be smart, situational kind of player with he and Kenny Gainwell, et cetera, in the backfield. Um, but I think he, he brings a little bit more of a home run threat and he brings that receiving threat and um, that kind of versatility really will lend to this offense. There's always the fun camp stories, guys, that kind of come out that you watch. Tyree Cleveland seems to kind of be getting some of that attention this year, the futures contract that was signed. There's a lot that he's competing against. It's a crowded wide receiver room. Uh, talk to us about what's it, what it's looking like at wideout for the birds. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, it's hard to project. It's going to be those kind of players. You have to do it at a very high level every single day. You know, I think that you, you, the Eagles would love to find a, a fifth, sixth developmental receiver kind of players that and Tyree certainly has come on for sure since the preseason began. So I think he's in the mix. Um, but I don't really have a feel for that, uh, that position. You know, I, I feel like one, two, three, four, pretty set with AJ, Devante, Quez, and Alamadai. After that, pretty up pretty up in the air. And a big joint practice against the Colts next week, a big preseason finale. We'll see who wins the job, but certainly Tyree has put his best foot forward and has done a really nice job. What are you expecting to see this year out of, of a new defense with a new defensive coordinator and, and maybe a little change in the linebacker position? Yeah, I mean, attacking, um, I think that with the addition of Nolan Smith to pair with Hassan Reddick, who, you know, the Eagles are very confident after his hand surgery that he'll be ready to go for uh, the, the opener. Um, that is does not seem to be a concern that they can put multiple pass rushers, I mean, multiple, multiple pass rushers with Brandon Graham, with Josh Sweat, with Fletcher Cox, Jalen Carter, very disruptive so far. Looking forward to seeing him in a more stable role, 20, 30 snaps a game. Jordan Davis, an expanded role from last year as well. Um, I think the secondary is interesting. Reed Blankenship all of a sudden has become like the indispensable safety. Kayvon Wallace has stepped up a bit. I mean, there's some players who've stepped up and some young cornerbacks who've come on. So, And and we got to see what N'Kobe Dean can do in his role if at the Mike position. So, you know, there's unknowns, and, and Sean Desai is an unknown. And I think some of the concepts are going to be hard to distinguish between what he is doing and what Jonathan Gannon did. It's not going to be an all-out blitz attack. Buddy Ryan's not coming back to coach this defense. But I do think they can – I mean, they were they were historic last year. They had 70 sacks. 
and and they were really good. They were number one in the league against the pass. So that those are those are hard metrics to to surpass. But I do think the front is really good. I think that that depth in that front seven can be just overwhelming and overpowering and young and fast and relentless. And I look forward to seeing it all come together. Now we have not seen anything from this defense yet. And we won't the last two weeks prior to the lead up into new England. That's when the defense will come together. That's when we'll start game planning for the Patriots. And that's when they'll start to attack weaknesses. And this defense has the versatility to do that. And I think it's going to be a very, very good defense. And I mean, I think this is a good thing to say, Eagles fans, similar to last year. All right. So you me- you mentioned Kobe Deeb. What have you seen out of him so far, and what are you expecting from him this year? Yeah, a pro who is prepared. Uh, the th- he just is a brainiac on the field, very fast, will be helped and must be helped by a front four, front five that keeps him clean. If he's able to run free to the football, he's going to have a really big season. Got to stay healthy, of course. Not the biggest guy ever. But, um, you know, Nicobe is going to be a ready-to-play middle linebacker. He has been waiting for the last year. He prepared as if he played every single snap. And I think he's got a chance to be a really strong leader in the middle of the defense. And kind of everything will funnel into him. Short tackler, great athlete. Uh, the only thing you will make sure is that 340-pound offensive guards and tackles are not getting out on him because he's only going to play at weight with 240, 230, 240. A very, you know, got to keep him clean, got to keep him uh, able to run to the football. Somebody who seems like he's all over the field every time you're looking at Sidney Brown talked about his development and where his spot is on this team. Developing. Uh, probably in the mix to play quite a bit at safety. To be to be determined. We only had a couple of preseason games here, but he, he has that style. He's got that flair. He's got that that want to. He's got that hunger, that physicalness. I mean, he flies to the football. Um, Eagles very, very high on him. He is not disappointed. Uh, impressive kid. He is smart. He is the background story. I'm sure you guys know is is unbelievable. Grew up in Ontario, uh, poor as can be. Football's the salvation. Academics is salvation. He took advantage of his chances, and I think he's just one of those kids you look at and he goes, he is just going to be here. And he's going to do his best to to maximize his career. He's going to do it the right way. He's going to make a lot of fans. And I think he's going to be a very good football player for the Eagles. All right. So one of the things that I look for when I'm watching these these games, these fall games before the regular season, is the development of special teams. I think that that's probably the thing that comes out of a lot of these preseason games. What are you seeing as the Eagles insider? Tell us what we should expect from the special teams. I mean, that's hard to say because I, I they're not they're not playing a lot of the regulars. You know, the competition has not been decided. I see a lot of unknowns. I mean, that's really all I can tell you. And a lot of it comes together late after the roster's cut from 50, from 90 to 53. And then you kind of put your core players together. So, I mean, I can't speak to a lot of it. Losing Sean Bradley, you know, obviously hurts. But until I know who's on the 53, it's very difficult to say who's returning punts, who's returning kickoffs. Who's your core cover guys? Who's your gunners? Um, Eagles know they have to be better than they were last year. Uh, big play in the Super Bowl that cost them dearly. Can't have that happen. 
And um, but I, I just think it's just really difficult to say at this point. I can't imagine the organization surprised by the fan excitement, but they want, I did want to ask. I mean, they got tailgating in lines for the release of the Kelly Green jerseys, which still puzzles Jeff. Uh, I was there with 50,000 people for the open practice at the link. What's the feel among the team about the fan excitement around what's going on here? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been awesome. I mean, and uh, as expected, I mean, look, the fans uh, love the Eagles and it, it's, it's a great relationship. And, uh, I, I mean, Jeff, like loosen up, man. Like the, it was, it, people <laughs> wanted to be first in line for the <laughs> green stuff. I mean, that's all. It's just, it's just like, it's just like connecting with the team. That's all. It's, it's an opportunity to ha- go out and tailgate and line up at three. What do you mean? Lining up at three 30 in the morning for a nine o'clock open house, uh, the open doors at the pro shop. That doesn't, that doesn't seem rational to you. <laughs> I don't, you, I don't get you it. in that line. <laughs> I was in the, uh, I was doing the emceeing at the gate. So I was, I was, I was, I was there at like uh, seven thirty. I think I was, I was there, um, but, but I, I was working. If you could get any player that you wanted in that Kelly green, which Jersey would you be getting? Or did you get? Oh yeah. I'm not a Jersey guy. So I don't, I never, I don't, but I, you I, told I don't me to lighten up. <laughs> you should lighten up. Well, I have a lot. Of, I have, I have Kelly green, but I don't have jerseys. I don't really walk, walk, walk around in jerseys. Um, but sure, I would. I would. Hurts is your quarterback. He's got the long term deal. You know he's going to be here for a while, right? That's yeah. kind of makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Uh, old school guys. I mean, Dawkins is an all timer. Kelsey's an all timer. Fun stuff. I've, I've been beating the Kelly Green drum for a while. I've got my green uh, Kelly Green Cunningham jersey that my wife got me. Jeff just has That's never understood. Cool. Jeff's never understood the Kelly Green desire to go back to that. It's a long term problem that he has. So that won't get solved by you, Dave. Yeah, and look, I mean, it was it's a and I never understood fully the love of the Buddy Ryan years. I mean, I remember it was a, it was a moribund organization. Buddy breathed life into it, made the Eagles relevant, but they never won a playoff game with Buddy Ryan. And I remember having conversations with people when Chip Kelly came in and they were telling me literally at this breakfast, I remember months after Chip was hired, boy, this is so much more fun than the Andy reader. And I'm thinking, I said to them, are you crazy? Five NFC championship games, one Super Bowl appearance with Andy Reid. Chip hasn't won anything. As it turned out, he never won anything. So it's the what same with so Buddy Ryan. About it? it was just, it was, you know, it's for people different is fun. And I think that, um, in the, in those days, Buddy was fun. They just never won anything. I mean, I don't think Buddy Ryan was a great coach. I think he would just he breathed a lot of fire into the into the organization. He was a great defensive coach, but I don't think he was a great head coach. But in the in that era, Reggie and Randall and Jerome, I mean, so many fifty five year old men now became Eagles fans during those years, or forty year old guys became fans. That's when they were kids during those. Kelly Green, Black Cleats, yeah. Eagles, Gang Green defense days. And that is the power. That's when they became the fans. That's when they started to love the Philadelphia Eagles and they fell in love with the Kelly Green. Now let's just get the winning to go along with it in the Kelly Greens that you wear, Dave. Dave yep. Spadaro, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much. And uh, look forward to following you the rest of the preseason and the start of the season. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Have a great weekend and go, Birds. What you did miss by being at the game was Dave's on-air wrestling stuff. So he interviewed some of the WWE wrestlers about the upcoming WrestleMania. I saw afterwards, and I, I knew who the wrestlers were that he was talking to. 
Look, the the tickets went on sale today. I think actually is is when they mm-hmm. go on sale. They're they're going to be here for two nights. As much as you're not a wrestling fan, there's going to be a lot of wrestling in this. Yeah, city well, what do you mean you year. think you didn't get them? No, I I can't afford wow. this. <laughs> those were like messy prices for the tickets going for WrestleMania for some of the seats that I saw. Okay, there. we can talk soccer next week. We're we're on a messy band this week. <laughs> no, uh, we're not. We're not. That, that was bad. We're not. We, we don't need to do that. Uh, it was good that they were that they got that much attention. It was bad what they did yeah. with the attention that they got. You want to know what else is bad? Uh, you're about to talk about James Harden. So I, I, I got a question for you. The the Chiron at the bottom of the screen on on several sports shows this morning said Harden agrees that they've passed the point of no return. Who's he agreeing with? I don't know. Himself? I just got another mobile alert that the Sixers are trading James Harden. So they apparently don't agree with James. Uh, well, but I don't understand who he's agreeing with other than himself. Is that like James Harden, China versus James Harden, United States? Like who who's who, who else has said that this is past the point of no return other than James Harden? I had who te- created this whole mess in the first place. I had texted somebody a few days ago when this all started again. Uh, I was joking that this makes you long for Ben Simmons workout videos, but it really doesn't. Um, yeah, let, let, let me let me just go through this because I went through this before we traded for him. Okay, James, if you're listening, I'm sure you're not. You have quit your way out of every city you have ever been in. You, the the beloved Houston Rockets, who T so desperately wanted to go back to and was playing against the Sixers, and that didn't work so well. He literally partied and fat suited his way out of Houston, and then he to get to New Jersey. Or, I'm sorry, to Brooklyn because I'm old, <laughs> and and then didn't like that after half a year, and he moped and fat suited his way out of there. And then he played in the playoffs, had one good game without Joel Embiid, and quit. I mean, is there anybody who thought going into game six, other than Philadelphia fans, who knew it was going to go bad, outside of this area, everybody thought the Sixers had this in the bag, didn't they? And, and, and what ended up happening was he spit the bit in game six, and then he quit in game seven. And then he wa- thought he was going to go out and get some sort of max deal. And then he opted in. He doesn't. By the way, James, you didn't need to be here. You're a lawyer. You you're, were a free agent. You could go wherever you want. But guess what? Nobody in North America wants you. Didn't he? Sign because the, you quit. Didn't he sign the contract? Even if he says that he was told something else, didn't he sign the contract? Yes, he did. So you're the lawyer. What's his play? Because now, I mean, you had shown me with the new CBA, if a player holds out, in the, like, he's not Ben Simmons. He doesn't have years left on You know what deal. he's going to try to do? He's going to hold out for 29 days, and he's going to come in for a day and mope, and then he's going to hold out again. You watch. He's going to try all sorts of nonsense to create chaos. Well, and and basically, what he has done is burn down every franchise he's been in. Which is part, burn of, the the reason, part of the Wait, reason. Does, does James Harden have a championship ring? It's part of the reason neither of us wanted that trade in the first place. Yeah, Anybody but he is—he is now—he is, is now torching the Philadelphia Sixers to the ground. And by the way, um, Josh Harris, you ain't getting an arena. He's after this too season. busy getting a game ball for the Commanders in their locker room and worried about PowerPoint presentations for their new arena. 
Like, where is the leadership here with this team? You've got one of your, quote, star players halfway across the world calling your general manager a liar. Uh, in, in, in the country that, that basically has banned that general yes, that ba- yes. Like, on so many levels, this is insubordination, and yet Josh Harris is busy in D.C., like, has, I'm not saying if can, he wasn't with D.C. that he'd be doing something here because he hasn't for the last couple of years as this thing has gone to hell. But can you can, I'm, I'm being serious. here. Can you name three bigger cancers in in professional sports in North America over the last 20 years? Name one, quite frankly, than James Harden. Name one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's bigger cancer. There's some, there's some people on that have more been, teams. There's some people who have been bad, and I'm I'm not good at you know I'm not. Yes, good but at J- but James Harden has done this pretty much everywhere he goes. I just and he somehow he, here's the part about this that makes no sense. James, you got no self awareness. Like, it, how did he not know that this was a bad idea? If he he has in his mind one more big contract left, I'm not so sure he does. But let's assume he's right. Is this how you advertise yourself by burning down another franchise? It would not be the market. By going to China and bad-mouthing your general manager. By the way, the general manager who allowed all your nonsensical behavior at the last stop you were at and then did everything he did to get you out of the supposed bad situation in Brooklyn. It would not be the marketing. He's disloyal on top of everything else. Yes, and I don't think he cares. And look, and I, I still. Yeah. So, think... would you want? Uh, look, the the. I just asked you, would you want him? We already know that your answer to that. You didn't want him back then. I didn't want him then. But look, Daryl yeah. Morey doesn't get off scot free either. He had to know this was going to happen too. He saw it break up in Houston. He's covered up for him everywhere he's gone. Not covered up, but he's like, he's been his boy everywhere. It's Why ego. is it surprising in the least that this is happening? Instead of being able to enjoy the fact that the schedule came out and I can look forward to them playing on Christmas Day at 8 o'clock after the Eagles play at 4.30 against the Giants, I got to read about James Harden across the country or across the world. I got to read about Joel Embiid changing his social media status, other players taking sides when I just want to watch some damn basketball. I'm tired of the drama. If I want drama, I'll go see a movie. I'd like to watch a game, and I'm not seeing that. You said it all. I don't know. We can, we can talk about this till we're blue in the face. I, I don't see how it changes anything. The only thing that's happening that worries me now is I think Joe Allen beats the next one out the door. That's, that's where we're going. This whole, this whole social media scrubbing nonsense. Like, have we, have we found the, the 21st century version of crossing your hand, your arms and holding your breath and stomping <laughs> and that it's to re- remove the names and pictures of the teams you're with to make a point. And then Joel Embiid the last time was like, Oh, my name is troll. I'm just kidding. He's not kidding. He's not stupid. He's Embiid's a really smart guy. He's very savvy and he calculates what he's doing and Mm -hmm. you can see where it's going. So do you get rid of him now? Do you trade him before this season starts? If you can get a good deal. I told you last year when I brought it up that this is where it was moving. And although I didn't want to, you have to start exploring it. Do I want to No, but you're moving to a place where it's going to explode. The question is, do you get out alive? (laughs) Are you holding the bomb in your hand when it goes off or does it go off and and take down? It already went off nearby anybody. It It already went off. The bomb went off in the form of James Harden. 
And now it's all the shrapnel, all the, the casualties around it. And the biggest casualty is the remaining part of the process. The, we've always said the process is dead. This is the final nail in the process. Let's there's, see. No, there's nothing that you can do to fix this. I don't see how you fix it either. I don't want to be a fatalist, but it's no fun as a fan. Uh, let's leave it there. When we come back, we'll talk to John Bacon about another disaster, conference realignment. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Let's take a few minutes with author, journalist, commentator, lots of other titles, world traveler, John Bacon, talk about some college sports. John, thanks for a little time. How you doing, man? I'm doing uh, shockingly well, as I like to say. Nothing bad here. So The, the last time we talked to you, uh, the college landscape looked much different. Um, and probably the next time we talk to you, even if it's tomorrow, the college landscape may look even different again. Uh, talk to us about... I mean, look, I'm a traditionalist. I love the old rivalries and the conferences, and that's just been totally blown up and doesn't exist. Which, which by the way, is amusing that he's a traditionalist because he went to Rutgers. But go ahead, Jason. Well, I didn't have rivalries, <laughs> so I had to root for the other ones that were out there. So I found those rivalries of the, like the 150 years we've played each other games to be awesome. What is going on in college football right now? Well, I got to say that the Big Ten is the oldest and probably the most stable, certainly one of the most respected academically and athletically uh, conferences out there. And uh, obviously, uh, Jeff and I are Big Ten guys, um, but it must be said, um, these conferences were basically static for almost 100 years uh, until the Big Ten took on Penn State, which I learned later was partly due to Northwestern insurance, if you will. Uh, they thought Northwestern might be leaving and they were actually applying for the Ivy League and so on. So got to have 10 was the theory. So in Penn State made a lot of sense. I People like that. It, uh, it, it was organic. It's geographic. It all makes sense. <clears throat> and then, of course, and, you know, about 10 years ago, your alma mater, uh, they added Nebraska and then shortly thereafter, Rutgers and Maryland. And that triggers, again, all, th- all four of those additions trigger a national round of musical chairs in all in all cases, the Big Ten started it. So what's happening now? Now the Big Ten has basically ended the Pac-12. The Big Ten's moral defense, if you will, is that, hey, man, it's the old girlfriend thing. Hey, man, your girlfriend came on to me. All right. That's <laughs> are they the big 18 now, by the way, or are they still the big 10? They are the big 18. So thank you on that one, Jason. So big 10 defies both math and geography. Um, so, and yeah, I mean, UCLA and UCA, USC, we're going to go somewhere <clears throat> and no doubt as it imploded, uh, Washington and Oregon was going, we're going to as well. Um, but I, I'll give them this much credit. No one this time around is trying to claim this is better for the student athletes. It's not. Uh, better for the faculty or the whatever. It's not. Um, there's no academic educational impulse here. It's just purely greed. And my line about that, Jeff, is that greed is undefeated. That's the one thing that you can count on every Saturday. Greed is running the whole thing now. So USC and UCLA wanted more than 30 million a school, I heard. And then, of course, the Big Ten wants a bigger slice of the pie. So money's driving all of this, and we'll see where, we'll see where it goes. 
You talk about how greed's driving this, but how does it make sense? It's not just greed. It seems like it's just football. Like, okay, how, how does this how about, make how about sense? Football greed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How, how does this make sense for the universities themselves? Because how how is the baseball team going to fly between? How is Rutgers going to fly to Eugene, Oregon, and fly to to California, and fly to Nebraska, and afford to be able to do this? Great question, my, and we don't know yet. No one's come up with a plan or divisions or how, you know, women's cross country is going to work or field hockey or volleyball or baseball. I mean, Michigan supports about 30 teams, Ohio State about the same, Penn State about the same. They carry more than anybody, uh, except for maybe Stanford, I think. Um, so that's going to be a big issue. If I had to bet right now, however, they're not. Um, they're going to come up with divisions for those sports, three divisions, and guess what? The four West Coast teams are going to play to their whole hell of a lot. Uh, in baseball and volleyball and so on, and uh, and the Big Ten will do what what it's always done. They're they're not going to throw away their financial gains through travel. That's my hunch there. And also, if you're a women cross country runner, why do you want to travel? I, I guess Oregon's got a lot of appeal for any trackster, obviously. Um, but uh, why do you want to do all that? So I bet they fudge that one. All right. So you've got 18 teams in the Big Ten, 16 teams in the Big Twelve. Four teams just hanging out by themselves now in the formerly known as Pac-10. What happens next? I mean, you've got Stanford and Cal out there. Like, these are named schools that participate in some major college sports. Does the Big Ten try to get to 20 to create those 10 and 10 conferences? Is, and then what the hell does the ACC do in all of this? Great questions. As far as Stanford and Berkeley... As I said earlier, no one's claiming it's academic that's motivating this, and the proof is those two. Um, if if academics were even a factor here, you'd take arguably the best state university in the country, certainly one of the top two or three in Berkeley, and Stanford you know, is on a par with Harvard, Yale, and so on. So those guys would never be on the sidelines if academics were a factor here. And on top of that, as we know, but average fan might not, the former Sears Cup, AD Cup, Lear Cup, whatever it's called now, for all sports, Stanford has owned it. It's been around 37, 38 years. I mean, they've lost three or four times, maybe, uh, you know, early on and so on, like a 30-year streak. So you can't say they're lame in sports either. They're better than everybody in, in overall sports. So those poor guys are out of the loop. Um, what happens next to them? They will join Stanford right now as pitching the ACC. I don't know if Cal Berkeley is, and I don't know why they wouldn't at this stage, um, except for maybe even crazier travel. And by the way, Jason, if you want to really offend um, cartographers, map guys, the Atlantic Coast Conference, <laughs> San Francisco Bay. <laughs> My kid's seven. He'll he'll circle that one as the outlier. <laughs> hey, hey, by the way, we have to note this. Mark this day down. This is the first time in six years that anybody's was word cartographer during our show. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're getting all brainiac over here with That's Stanford, right. and, you know. As you're telling us, education doesn't matter. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Not in this case. Yeah. So, so, so. Uh, so those poor guys, they're going to have to join with somebody. I think the Pac-12 is going to form in some way, maybe with the Mountain West and call it the Pac-12, because why not, or Pac whatever. Um, they have some money coming their way, is what I've read, uh, enough to get started, $30, $40 million among them, to that fees that USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington are not going to be collecting. So that'll be their side. What happens next, um, man, um, Big Ten is now saying we're not expanding anymore. 
Yeah, and I heard that a month ago. <laughs> uh, adamant. They're adamant. We have no interest. We're not talking to anybody. And oh, by the way, two more. Um, so just kidding. Um, look, they always leave space for Notre Dame. Always. Uh, it's always the dream because it, it, it makes all the sense in the world and almost every possible level. Um, except for Notre Dame, they're wed to tradition. And at this point, you have to give Notre Dame some credit. If greed were the factor, they would be joining the Big Ten. Because no matter how great that NBC contract is, it's not as good anymore as the uh, Fox contract is. Northwestern football, 1-11, will make more on TV deals than Notre Dame will this year. That's how powerful the Big Ten yeah, deal is. Yeah, but what tradition is left that Notre Dame is protecting? Notre <laughs> Dame is essentially in the ACC conference. They're the ones that are pushing right now to have Stanford and Cal join there. And Florida, the teams like Florida State and other schools are saying, no, this doesn't make economic sense. It's going to take away from the pie that they already think is too small. So what is noted for, for people that don't understand this, which includes me, I don't I don't really care. Notre Dame can go away. They can get wiped off the map and I would be OK with it. Way to make some fans of the show, Jeff. <laughs> it, it is Just making friends fine. wherever we go, right? Exactly. Everywhere. Explain what it is that they're at this point they are protecting other than the tradition of being on NBC. The tradition of being independent. That's the that's part of the DNA at Notre Dame. Now, literally 100 years ago in the spring of 1923, uh, there's a track meet in Ann Arbor, all Big Ten track meet, Big Nine back then, I think. Um, and uh, no, Big Ten. And uh, and Notre Dame was invited because it's pretty loose back then. There's a dispute over the space between hurdles. And Michigan was, you know, battling Illinois for the title. And some say it's six inches off. Some say it's two and a half feet off. Big argument ensued. Newt Rockney, the AD at the time of Notre Dame, as well as the football coach, takes Illinois' side. And Fielding Yost says, you will never be in the Big Ten. And the problem is that SOB was right. <laughs> so, and, and Michigan fans don't even know that story. Notre Dame fans all know that story. Um, so this is a point of pride that Chip on the shoulders carefully nurtured. And I had a chance years ago to interview Father Ted Hesburgh himself, the legend who made Notre Dame the you know, internationally acclaimed university that it is. He's the one who leveraged football to make it a, a real university because it really wasn't beforehand, um, before the 50s. And uh, he said, we're the only university I know of where the students are more wed to tradition uh, than the faculty and the alums. And that stayed, stayed with me. Um, it's a, this, this, the students are going to fight you on this. Um, so, but John, it's not, it's not tradition. They're, they're only they're, independent they're, in football, by in, the way. Yeah, no, but they're in, they're independent in name only. They're, mm -hmm. they're affiliated with the ACC right now. They play an ACC football schedule for the most part right now. All game, of their, right. Uh, right. All of their other sports are in the ACC. So it's not, it, it's just as much a tradition as saying that the big 10 is 10 teams. It, it's but, just in name only. So here you go making sense. I'm sorry. He doesn't you regularly do that. You need to talk to the, the Rutgers show, guy so. instead. <laughs> John, be careful with the compliments for Jeff on this show. Okay? <laughs> well, look, I mean, and also, and why is Notre Dame doing that? A five game schedule. Okay, Big Ten's not going to give you a five game schedule. It's all in or not. Right. Um, but for crying out loud, you are an hour and a half from Purdue. You are an hour and a half, two hours, whatever, from Northwestern. You're two and a half hours from Michigan, three hours from Michigan State. And honestly, before it all blew up, I would probably argue that South Bend was the geographic, there you go, cartographer, the geographic center of the Big Ten, almost exactly. 
Um, it's it makes all the sense in the world. You already play all these teams anyway in almost every sport. Um, it's pride. It's pride that does it. So, all right. So you mentioned the Fox deal. I, I mean, this is all money, media rights, but it's all happening among the shifting landscape of viewership. I actually saw this week that linear TV viewing went under 50% for the first time as you see the growth in streaming. Part of the Pac-12 falling apart is that it was an Apple deal that was being presented and they couldn't buy into the streaming nature when they wanted the revenues from a linear channel. So where does this all go next as college landscape keeps changing with the foundation that's driving it, the media shifting at the same time? That's the thing they've not even thought of. And I said this 10 years ago. I'm sorry about this, Jason. Uh, when they added Rutgers, of course, in Maryland. <laughs> lots um, of lots but, of people comment on Rutgers in the, in the Big Ten. Well, there's that. You're not alone. <laughs> if, you, if you find uh, Killingsworth, by the way, one of your great professors, often gets quoted. He's an email friend of mine. Um, he does brilliant work. And he says, we've been chasing this money the whole time. We lose $50 million, $100 million a year, every year. And just throw more. they just throw more money at it. It's just crazy. Um, so Rutgers is not winning on this deal, sadly. Um, and what did the Big Ten do? They picked up Rutgers, not for more fans, not for more viewers even, um, for the 80 cents per cable package, they can now bill 20 million people in the New York area. Um, and at the time I thought, wait a second, you're doing, you're, you're scrambling a hundred year old conference, all right, for five years, 10 years of cable fees. I mean, how long is that going to last? Um, Sure as hell, the Big Ten is not based on the telegram. <laughs> I mean, that would have been a, a dumb business model. Um, so what they're chasing now with Fox, it, it's ephemeral. I mean, how long is this going to last? Five years, 10 years, maybe? And you've shattered at least one conference along the way. So I think it's very short-sighted. And viewership is still going down generally, as we all know. And so is attendance. So they're squeezing this goose too hard, and eventually it matters. Well, you know, you just mentioned that this is just another thing that the NCAA hasn't really thought out. We're, we're now in a year whatever of, of the NIL deals, and that still doesn't seem thought out. Where does that go next? I'm giving a lot of crappy answers here today. Here's another one. I don't know. <laughs> Neither do they, in fairness. But that's the key. But nobody knows. And anybody tells you they do know is lying to you or stupid or arrogant or all of the above. Um, they, they've, they've opened the barn doors and they don't know what the hell is going to happen next. It's a nuclear reaction that they hope you know stops underneath the Chicago stands in 1944 and does not blow up the whole world. They don't know what's going to happen next. All right. Um, well, then let me ask you this then, because you because you mentioned this, I think, the last time you were on the show is the, the struggles of just one, let's talk about one school, Michigan, the yes. struggles of, the, of their NIL and, and the and the friction between the athletic director and the coaches of the two largest teams, the football team and the basketball team have has, has at least that school figured it out or at least started to figure out how they're going to navigate this as opposed to being loggerheads within the organization itself. They just recently announced, like a week or so ago, the uh, Circle of Champions, I think it's called, or the Champion Circle. That's their new officially branded NIL. Uh, we approve this. You know, I'm Ward Manuel, the athletic director, and I approve this message kind of thing. Because they had these scattershot three or four groups, some for, some, some for profit, some not, et cetera. They finally have picked one group. It's well run by Jared Wangler, who played at Michigan. His dad was a hotshot quarterback, John Wangler. Uh, and Jared did pretty well himself. Uh, good guy, smart guy, he'll handle it well, but they're what, two, three years behind at least, I think. 
uh, Ohio State, and let alone a lot of other schools that were basically running rum out of speakeasies for many years, and then prohibition ends, they just open the blinds and say, hey, we're open for business. So, I mean, that NIL transition was much easier at some schools. Let's many say of them that. now claim that NIL exists because it takes to open the blinds. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So, I mean, that and what you've spoken to here, Jeff, at all these points, I think, with uh, the realignment, you know, the conference uh, musical chairs, NIL, TV deals, uh, the upcoming playoff, 12 teams, who's in, who's out, who votes, et cetera, et cetera. An utter vacuum of leadership from the NCAA. Mark Emmert was AOL. Uh, I'm sorry, AOL. A AWOL. A AWOL. <laughs> I'm screwing up my, meta, my acronyms here. That's okay. That's kind, of, that's kind of old school now, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no one knows what I'm talking about, do they? So. <laughs> my, my parents in their 80s still have AOL. That's, there you go. Um, but, uh, but he was absent and I thought Charlie Baker, when he got in, was talking a good game and he might take control, but he's been also, he's on a milk carton basically. So, and with this vacuum, who's taking over? Greg Sankey is taking over, uh, the commissioner of the SEC, obviously, and the new commissioner of the big 10, Petiti, he's taking over. So college sports, in my view, are basically run by two men and they're not in the PAC 12, not in the big 12 and not in the ACC. Um, whether that's good or not, we're about to find out. Yeah, and this champion circle, while this may be a good idea, I, and I hope it works as a, as a Michigan person, the problem is, is I think it was Texas A&M yeah. last week had to shut down theirs. Oh, yeah. So, so, so they're now trying to find solutions to at least make this organized. And the solutions aren't even legal. And to point out, they didn't, they didn't have to shut it down. They chose to because this is also new. The IRS ruled that there wasn't a tax-deductible nature to it. So exactly. They, so they couldn't solicit the money with people getting a write-off. So they realized nobody's going to give. Yeah, donors watch that stuff, it turns out. I'm not in the donor class. but <laughs> yeah, uh, If I, I had money are. to give, apparently I would care about the fact that <laughs> I get a tax write-off. <laughs> I'm a trustee at Michigan Tech in the UP. Um, so... We deal with development a lot, man. There you go. Yeah. Michigan, Michigan Techs. Follow me here, Jason. There, way up there. That's, that's, Second thumb. So, so for people that are listening on the radio, we're making the little hand symbols that are our version of cartography at Michigan. And I'm yes. just I'm just making third time today, cartography. There's I'm, four. I'm just making faces um, at both so, of them while they do it. So Yeah, here you go. So we talk about donors quite a bit. Donors are very savvy these days. Um, they have contracts, they have payment plans, all this stuff, estate lawyers and so on. And if you're if you don't have a 501c3 status or other nonprofit status, uh, they're gonna be well aware of this fact. And you probably will not get much. So Texas A&M had to shut it down amazingly. When Nick Saban is complaining that the NIL landscape and now college football is basically uh, out of control, that gets my attention. <laughs> yeah. He's not the first guy I figured would be complaining about that, but there you go. I'll leave the uh, coaching question about what's going on with your wonderful coach at Michigan uh, for Jeff. I will take it in a different Thanks. direction of uh, what I think is a larger threat than realignment to college sports is the gambling news that's coming out all around the country. I mean, I, I worked in Iowa for years, so I still get a lot of the publications. What's going on at Iowa and Iowa State uh, the players betting directly on the games they were playing in. Yep. Um, the, the nature of how it's been done, sort of the similar things we've seen in the NFL where they're trying to use somebody else's account and say it wasn't me and break it up into smaller transactions. Can you talk about what you view that as a threat to college sports right now? And, and what we're seeing, is this a discovery of what was already going on or a rise in something that was smaller? I think it's both. 
I think uh, it's getting reported more now than it was three, four, five years ago. But man, I mean, get on any website. What do you see? DraftKings and everything else. It's and by show of hands in my college class at the University of Michigan, most of the undergrads uh, are engaged in this. Most undergrads who care about sports, I should say. Um, so it's it's maybe rampant, rampant and. Jeff will remember a name, Don Canham, the former athletic director at Michigan from 68 yeah. to 88. He's the one who invented modern college marketing. Uh, and Frank DeFord did a big eight-page spread on him in Sports Illustrated in 75. The first guy to put you know Michigan on your T-shirts and this kind of stuff and really sell that stuff. He and I became pretty close. And he said, it's not, I asked him the future. This is in 2005, about a few months before he passed away. And he said, uh, college football, college sports are going to make money um there'll be threats about grades threats about money but he said what's going to take it down is gambling and he said that no five um it's taking a while to get there but he says look if there's that much money sloshing around when you have this imbalance of that much money sloshing around and a point guard either not getting paid uh or getting paid you know nil chump change or a referee making forty-five thousand dollars a year um that guy's vulnerable dangle a million bucks in front of one of those guys there you go and we all know once you get hooked as a gambler, it's one of the hardest addictions to break. Um, so the reason why Pete Rose says, I only bet on the Reds, never bet again. So what? Once you're in debt to these guys and ask Phil Mickelson, you'll do all kinds of crazy things that are against the interest of your sport. So this is a real threat. And that could be one of those things that one more straw that could break this back, I think. Well. I can only imagine how many books you have run rattling through your head right now with all of this stuff that's going on. So before we let you go, the, the elephant in the room, Jim Harbaugh, what is going to happen? Why did this deal go bad? And and, and where do where do they go from now? From here? Uh, big sigh for you radio listeners. So in case you're not watching me, <laughs> um, this case is now two years old, which speaks to the efficiency of the NCAA. They got Michigan on four level two violations by their own accounting. And level two is misdemeanors, basically. Level one. And what, are the, and what were they? Because people they don't believe me when I tell them. I know. And here we go. They are. <laughs> let's see. You videotaped a practice you weren't allowed to. Um, you had an analyst on the field for two or three practices who was not allowed to be on the field. Um, you recruited during one of the shifting blackout periods during COVID, where all the rules were kind of different and weird. There's two or three days they recruited, try to recruit people. They're not allowed to. And everyone's favorite, uh, Harbaugh bought uh, two cheeseburgers for two recruits who had already signed with Michigan at the Brown Jug, which Jeff and I know well. Um, it's a quality burger. No one's complaining about the burger. <laughs> um, so the cheeseburger gate, basically. So And Michigan pled guilty to all four of those. Yeah, you're right. And whatever the penalty is, we'll take it. We're not we're not fighting you, which in itself for the NCAA is a great gift these days because a lot of schools fight you tooth and nail and everything. And But then they wanted to get Michigan on uh, Harbaugh either lying or misleading about these things happening early in the investigation process. Harbaugh is adamantly denying that he ever lied or misled them, and they're saying that he did. So my old joke about this one forever has been the NCAA is great at misdemeanors and they suck at felonies. Um, they're great at jaywalking, but murder uh, could have been anybody. I don't know. <laughs> you know. The same week this came down, by the way, a couple weeks ago, Tennessee pled guilty to 200 violations, including 15 level one violations. They got a financial penalty, but no games for anybody <clears throat> because their attorney general of the state said that if you try to bench us for any games, we're going to sue you and win. And the NCAA ran away. So Harbaugh, 
So is the attorney general of Michigan from Michigan State? Is that what you're going <laughs> Usually. <laughs> Mom, man, the, the state is run by state grads, not Michigan grads. Uh, the, the Michigan grads live by you guys, right? Philadelphia, New York. So you, you've seen them. But anyway, uh, where was I? Oh, so the... So Michigan pled guilty, and they were going to give Harbaugh four games to sit out, which I actually thought was brilliant because he can have other coaches come in and coach those games, fire them up for otherwise. It's UNLV. It's uh, East Carolina. Look, Jeff, Jason, and I, I, I've never coached football in my life. We're winning all four of those games by a lot. Why? What, what was the fourth one again? Uh, fourth one is, right. oh. <laughs> Rutgers. <laughs> I bit. Sorry, See, sorry. Jeff is so uh, good at that. He never misses an opportunity. Hey, Shannon's a coach you got to watch. Uh, you got to take him seriously. The other ones, I don't think so. But anyway. Um, but then, and I do not know why, and I was on Sam Webb's show this morning. He's an ultimate Michigan insider on his WTKA show. Um, he doesn't know either. So the... It was down to four games for him and one each for two assistant coaches. And that broke down. I don't know if Michigan backed off, the NCAA backed off or what. <clears throat> but now their vice president of the NCAA is breaking his own gag order and trying to spin it. It's not about cheeseburgers. Yeah, it is. It is. It's about cheeseburgers. And cheeseburger level offenses by your own scorecard. So it's – so like I said, they screw up felonies. They get misdemeanors right. In this case, they're trying to get them on a felony – about lying about misdemeanors. So we've gone full circle. Well, uh, I don't have faith that they'll get this right one day. So <laughs> we'll still get to talk to oh, you yeah. about what's going on. What's going to happen next? All right, yeah. so now the deal's off. And in January, they're going to revisit it. Three things going to happen. One, I think the NCAA can be so feckless by then, so toothless, they won't even try it. All right, two, Harbaugh can tell them to go take a hike and some other phrases. Uh, some are saying Jim will go to the NFL. I've seen no signs of that this time. The NFL um, has to want Jim. Uh, yeah, last time they did. Denver did. Um, they, and they, the owner flew to Ann Jeff, Jeff goes through this yo-yo every year of <laughs> will he or won't he? And, and we get phases of it. Like, I want him to go. No, I don't want him to go. He's going to go. I can't believe he's going. Oh, he's back. Like, is that is that just going to continue occurring regardless of what the NCAA does with Harbaugh? I, Thought it was kind of over this last time around. Oh, one last thing about this whole mess. Uh, because of the NCAA investigation, Michigan is holding up Jim's contact re contract renewal until this is settled. Um, yeah. He's that, not going to like that, right? Like, he already has had friction with stuff before. He already doesn't like that, and yeah. that's why he was willing to listen to Denver. Okay. Uh, that's why he was talking to Minnesota a year ago, a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. um, so... What happens next, trust me when I tell you, nobody knows, but I guarantee you the NCAA somehow will embarrass itself further. When Paul Feinbaum, I've been on his show quite a bit, I like Paul a lot, we get along very well, but he does not, not like Not a Michigan. huge Michigan fan. Fair, not a huge, nor Harbaugh fan. And he was shaking his head, 100% taking Harbaugh's side of this one. So I think the NCAA has gotten out. The great Tarkanian quote still applies. <clears throat> the NCAA is so mad at Kentucky that Cleveland State is going to get it. So that's how it works. It's so John, what's, what's next for you? What's the, what's, what's the next topic for your next book? Believe it or not, it is the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald, the ship that Gordon Lightfoot wrote about in 76. Uh, it'll be 50 years in two years and I'll have my book out by then. <clears throat> so I've had a, a, a very fascinating time investigating that around the great lakes and Hollywood seems already interested. We'll see what happens there. Um, and I've also got a podcast, which I always forget to mention, but yeah, I finally plug have your here. podcast. 
Let them lead by bacon.com. We've got Barb Quaid on there uh, this week. She's often on TV talking about politics, but she used to be a Michigan Daily Sports column, columnist way back in the day. Barb's Barb's was the column. So and, and now got, she's uh, a law school professor. She is. We've also got Jim Hackett, the CEO of Ford Motor Company. Jack Harbaugh's on there and some other big coaches and good guys. Brad Park's coming up, the old Boston Bruin and Ranger great. So wow. good Look. stuff. We appreciate y'all make always making yourself available to talk about all this craziness with us. Uh, we also have no faith the NCAA will solve these problems, so we know we'll get to talk to you again sometime about it. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I love you guys, Jeff and Jason. I'll call. I'll talk to you in two weeks. Thank you. By easy. then, because by then something will be dumber. Yes, something will be dumber. <laughs> always, always. So thanks so much, Jeff. Jeff John said, "Give him two weeks for changes." I'd give him about two days for changes. Yeah, well, you know what? You always ask me for my final thoughts, and and sometimes it's pretty negative. This time, I'm going to go out with a positive because we've had enough negative on the show today. Bryce Harper is becoming Bryce Harper again, and we didn't even Earlier get to. And then he showed up, and everybody should just smile about the fact that Bryce Harper is back. And we didn't even have time to talk about it. Going to leave mm-hmm. it there. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.